Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. Good amount of stuff going on. This episode is going to be mostly regarding 2019 recruiting. Uh, signing day was Wednesday. We record on Thursdays. If you're listening another day, then just understand this was recorded on Thursday. But we're going to talk a lot about this 2019 class. We kind of mentioned in January we we wanted to kind of pool it all as one, you know, the various impacts of these recruits. Pretty good class. Uh, could end up as the number one Big Ten class. I think I think uh, Penn State's waiting on one guy, a safety. If they get him, they'll jump. But regardless, either first or just, just shy of first in the Big Ten, a top ten class, you know, a class that, and, and we'll talk talk more about this in the next hour, but, you know, very complete class, you know, lots of different needs filled at different positions. So we'll talk about that. We'll have probably 15, 10, 15 minutes of, of basketball and maybe some other questions regarding football, basketball, hockey, yada, yada at the end of the show. But but first, uh, we'll, we'll talk some recruiting. I'm Zach Shaw. You can read my stuff at michiganinsider.com. You can also read Steve Lorenz's stuff. Uh, he's he's real big in the recruiting scene. He's on this podcast as he is every week. And so, Steve, pretty tame signing day. You know, Quentin Johnson signed. Uh, you know, that was that was really the only only drama. But you know, as far but we can finally start to look at this class. <laughs> you know, we we've joked if there was more late drama, people would feel a lot differently about this class. It's kind of a top 10 class that I wouldn't say people are forgetting about, but it maybe isn't getting the discussion that some of the other Michigan's other top 10 recruiting classes have gotten. Yeah, I agree. So Quentin actually signed in December. So So this was just a make it public. Like, like St. John's does like a ceremony with their team. And so you can't publicly like, they didn't want it publicly announced that he signed until the whole team did it and stuff, but he actually signed back in, in December. So that recruitment was also over. So you could technically say that they didn't sign anybody yesterday. Uh, (laughs) His just went public. So um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the things I always talk about, you know, like a, you know, like if Trent Jones had decided yesterday and it was like Michigan and Georgia and Florida and Clemson or whatever, which were (laughs) all the schools that continued to pursue him after he originally committed to Michigan, then yeah, then, Oh, they got Trent Jones. That was a huge, huge recruiting win. Right in Georgia stomping grounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's, oh, well, he's been committed for over a year. So, okay. You know, uh, you know, that, and that's kind of the, you know, that's sort of the, what have you done for me lately type, mm-hmm. you know, outlook or mentality. Which is kind of natural. I mean, it is, it is. I don't necessarily, I'm not really like hating on it necessarily. I just, but you're kind of, a, your original point is, is pretty spot on as far as like, you know, it, it, it's it's exciting for Michigan because they got the guys that they wanted and that they didn't have to worry. You know, they they basically have been able to approach uh, December through February with a full focus on the next two recruiting classes. I mean, winter evaluations that the new members of the staff made some in-home stops with some of the guys who have already signed. You know, like I know Sean Nua went and saw uh, Chris Hinton. Uh, I know Gaddis was around, you know, and so. uh in that regard, you know, but, but the vast majority of their resources were able to be devoted to 2020 and 2021, which with the early signing day, now a thing, that's your best case scenario, you know, Mm -hmm. that you get your class as locked up as possible uh, so that you can use 
a lengthy evaluation period to focus on your next recruiting class because those guys are all signed. You don't have anything to worry about. Right. So, uh, but yeah, in the grand scheme, yeah, it's kind of a slept on class to an extent. I think the all-star games help out a little bit and kind of keeping the hype going. You know, Mozzie Smith had a great week at Under Armour. Uh, Trent Jones, another one had a great week at Under Armour. Nolan Rumler, you know, had a great game. I don't know how I didn't hear so much about what he did in practice, but he had a great game. Uh, Cornelius Johnson was great in the, I, I just, I'm going to call it the army game, uh, <laughs> in the army game, you know, and then, uh, Giles Jackson, I think was pretty impressive at the Polynesian bowl, Quentin Johnson. So, uh, you know, really, uh, 26. So the answer to the question of how many, how much room does Michigan have in the 2019 class has been answered. They have 26 spots. <laughs> and so I can finally answer that question for everybody that's been wondering that for the last two years. So, uh, (laughs) good class though. I like this class. I have been, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, when you evaluate every class at the end, it's like, I want to, you know, it's like, I, I I look at it and I think, man, this, this might be their best class from top to bottom. But then you go back, I was like, well, when in 16 and 17, I was probably, I was probably thinking the same thing at the time. Mm -hmm. That being said though, they hit, there are a lot of guys in this class that they, I think I just, I feel like they're starting to kind of come into some kind of zone as far as their evaluations go. Uh, almost all of the, literally almost all of these guys are ranked significantly higher than they were when 24 seven. Yes. First ranked. Them. That's true. Yeah. Cornelius Johnson, Barnhart, huge jump. Uh, even Jack Stewart. I mean, we just bumped Jack Stewart up to an 89 yesterday. He was an 86, I believe. Uh, that's that's a couple hundred spots. So his composite score went up. Quintel Kent, I think, was an 83 when he committed to Michigan. Uh, I believe he signed as an 87. Hmm. Uh, one of the guys I thought should have gotten a bump that didn't was George Johnson, you know, which he's a guy that, you know, is like I, like I say, I look at a guy like that and think he's underrated. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think. Some of the well, even the, that, even the top-level guy, Charbonnet. You know, with yeah, someone he, that well, he's the he was the biggest leaper of anybody. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you, you know, yeah. That's the it's like Michigan's evaluations at running back have been really, really good. Yeah, Jabo's another one. Uh, Sainer still's bumped up quite a bit too. So I have a question yeah. with these. Did did Michigan? Because I'm not sure. You know how they scout. I assume they're still doing roughly the same thing. Have they changed how they scout at all? Because I think. And this partly had to do with the early signing day and the, the earlier visit period, but it seemed like the, their top targets were identified earlier in this class. And as you said, there were a lot more. Uh, I, the t- phrase we've been using on this podcast is ground floor guys like Ojabo. No, you know, people hadn't even necessarily discovered him or knew what he could do yet. And, right. and they were already pursuing him as if they knew exactly what he could be. Did, did they change their scouting? Did they put more emphasis on a certain type of scouting or anything like that did anything change or was it just they they went with their gut more or i did any is there a reason it changed more with this class uh i don't don't really think so um you know the thing with them they're not a they're like the geography stuff too granted they got a lot of guys out of a lot of big areas but they're not afraid of you know, I go back to like Luke 
Schoenmaker last cycle. You know, mm-hmm. like they're not afraid of taking guys like that if they're confident in their evaluations. And this class has quite a few of those types of guys. You know, Stewart being a great example. Um, Sainra still, obviously, the Mass- out of Massachusetts. McNamara you know, for that, quarterback, too. Yeah, the whole time with, like, Sainra still, everybody was so focused on Louis Cine, myself included. They were teammates at Everett High School, and then Cine transferred to I think the Deion Sanders school or something in Texas. So, hmm. uh, you know, knowing, not knowing it was like that Michigan was about as high on Sanders still the whole time as they were on Cena, you know, Cena was the one who was ranked way, way higher, uh, ended up signing with Georgia. And, uh, but as far as their value, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see anything like totally like, you know, different. I mean, there are some different assistants, right? I know like, uh, like Bill Green, our Ohio guy, is labeled Zach Carpenter as a, as an Ed Warner type guy, right? So I, I know I don't know if if Drevno was still in town, like it was Zach Carpenter a guy they'd have gone after. I don't know, right? But um, you know, especially up like they are though. You're right. You know, I look at the offensive line, and people tend to want to focus on some of the misses that they had on the offensive line. You know, like Logan Brown, who who again I think is going to be an awesome player for Wisconsin. Yeah, but. Every all six guys they signed bumped up. They're ranked high. I think Keegan might be around the same, but every or and Rumler actually. So Rumler and Keegan pretty much stayed level throughout. For guys, that's still top two hundred, right? The other four guys are way higher than they were. Again, well, maybe Carpenter. Sorry. So, but what I'm what I'm getting at is is like these were guys. Every one of these guys were identified after Warner was hired, identified early, offered early, pursued vigorously, and then signed. You mm-hmm. know, and like um, Barnhart probably bumped at least 200 spots. Jones bumped up. I actually want to say Jones and Charbonnet, I think, are the two guys that bumped up higher from their original ranking than anybody else in the class. So, um, like I said, everyone, else, everyone likes to focus on the couple misses. Uh, I like when I did the grades and I posted this today is like, I don't really care who they missed on. I look at what they actually got and I can still give this offensive line hall, like an a or an a plus just because uh, even the guys who weren't ranked as high, like I say, you go back to Carpenter, it was Michigan or Clemson. Uh, Clemson's one of the best evaluating programs in the country. And that's not just because they're winning a lot of games. Like they're well, like winning a lot of games because they can evaluate. Well, yeah, and like their recruiting classes are, are in Clemson's always an interesting case in recruiting because they seem to be more of the exception than the rule. I guess I would I would kind of compare Clemson to I don't know if people will take this, but I would compare Clemson to like Michigan State, but like on a bigger scale. As far as like Clemson, every cycle takes like five or six guys that are like really lowly ranked. Like they'll like their their per average ranking in, for recruit is like usually very very low, and they're not usually like a number one number two three four class in the country. Like this cycle, I want to say like pull up real quick. Uh, it's like they, yeah. So they signed twenty nine guys, which is a massive class for them. Only ranked tenth in the country. Hmm. I mean that's and that's, that's off a championship. Yeah. And so, like, if that doesn't tell you, you know, it was like, and Michigan had a higher, like, their average rank per recruit was 89.76. Michigan's was almost, or actually was about a full point higher. Clemson signed 15 three-star prospects, according to the composite, 
right? So like, that's why I say, I, I always liken them to like a Michigan state on a little bit of a bigger scale. Whereas like, that's kind of the way Michigan state recruits is they don't really care about what the rankings are. They're very faithful in their evaluations. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily chase after the big fish. Not that, you know, it's different though, because Clemson kind of can, and when they need to, you know, maybe Michigan state can't, but uh, hopefully people get that comparison. You know, I but think it like, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so Michigan beat Clemson for Zach Carpenter. They beat Texas A&M and Auburn for Jack Stewart. You know, so the offensive line hall, big fan. Yeah. And, and really, class overall is, is good. I'm, I'm a fan of it so far. By the way, some numbers for our for our listeners. Zach Charbonnet was the biggest riser. Went from 582 to 48. Or, sorry, 46. And then Trent Jones went from 469 to 108. There you go. So yeah. in a, in a span of about fourteen months, uh, you know. So just yep. and Trent Jones had stellar senior season, which is I feel like for offensive linemen, you know, it's like it's one thing to be big, it's another thing to you know have the ankle flexion and things like that. It's another thing to keep producing more on the field. Let's let's go through some. Well, I guess it's lightning round, but you don't have to go fast. But right. w- working through this class. You know, I think I know the answer, but what are I think I know number one, but what are maybe the top two or three biggest recruiting wins for the staff? Meaning, you know, not just who they beat out, but the nature of the recruitment. Maybe it was an underdog recruit that they that they pulled off, or or you know, holding off someone who was pushing really hard. What were what were the biggest two or three recruiting wins? Well, I mean, it's obviously it starts with Dax. Yeah, Hill. <laughs> that's, that's, that was the it number has, one. It, right, it has to though. Um, you know, I know there's the stuff about Hill being the that uh, Nick Saban said he's the best safety he evaluated at the high school level. I don't know how much validity there is to that statement, but mm-hmm. their continued pursuit of him obviously lends some credence to the idea that it's a possibility, right? So for them to, with how wacky that went down, uh, for them to pull that one out was obviously was a huge win. Cause again, uh, the one other thing about the one interesting thing about this class, in my opinion, and not just from strictly a rankings perspective, but also just from a film perspective, they, they finally hit a home run at safety with Hill and they hit a home run at running back with Charbonnet. And that's partly because the rankings, cause again, like go back to last cycle, uh, Christian Turner was a top target for Michigan the whole way, just because he was ranked in 87. Don't really care. Like he was a the guy they evaluated early, loved him, beat Notre Dame for him, whatever. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's part of it. Cause again, perceptions, reality to people in a lot of these deals. Um, but, but Hill was a really big recruiting win for them. Um, Cornelius Johnson to hold off, you know, it's, kind of a weird deal at the end uh you know Penn State I think was probably the main factor and and that they were battling against in that regard you know Notre Dame filled up Stanford I don't know what the deal is there I know they I think they ended up getting Elijah Higgins another four-star I don't know if it was a one or the other there Um, but that was still a big win again I think Johnson probably a guy that could probably rank a little higher even which 175 is is really great ranking uh but I think he's I think he's got a higher ceiling than that. Hmm. And then Trevor Keegan, you know, Georgia, Penn State, you know, he was a take for Georgia too, you know, to uh, kind of hold them off. I, I get the sense that Georgia was actually the bigger factor. 
Uh, I know some out there probably rolling their eyes, especially after Georgia somehow came out of nowhere to steal George Pickens from Auburn yesterday. <laughs> uh, say completely out of nowhere uh, how that goes, but yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, like literally out of nowhere, but anyway, uh, so they beat uh, Georgia Penn state for Keegan was nice, you know, cause Keegan really a guy again, that same idea is like Keegan is viewed as a bigger recruiting win because his recruitment just went on longer. Right. That's really the big perception wise. It's that that's why it's such a big recruiting win. So those are kind of the three that pop to the forefront. Uh, you know, DJ Turner had a lot of offers. Uh, Barnhart was a guy that, I mean, they beat Michigan state head to head for Carson Barnhart and Michigan state definitely led early on there, you mm-hmm. know, so that, I think that's a pretty big win again, even though he committed so early. And then, uh, you know, Mozzie Smith, too. Uh, that was Notre Dame was right there. I think Notre Dame led the crystal ball early on for Smith. And uh, so that, I'd say, was a, a pretty big win. And then even uh, Cade McNamara, you know, about – you read the story, or I know we posted the story about Gaddis uh, on Harbaugh's podcast mentioning that McNamara was the number one quarterback on – Alabama's recruiting board in 2019. So do you, do you, because easy, that? easy to say that once he's hired by Michigan. Right. Well, it's funny. It's hard. It's one of those questions that I don't know if you could ever answer because you have to remember in this recruiting cycle, as funny as this is, Alabama signed two quarterbacks. One was the great grandson of bear Bryant. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the younger brother of Tua. So it's like, yeah, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind Hands of a, retired a little bit, right. Where it's like, I don't know. I mean, I know Michigan did like Paul Tyson, you know, Tyson being the uh, Bear Bryant relation. I know Michigan did like him, you know, but, you know, whether he and, and, you know, McNamara was committed to Notre Dame originally. So you'd have to assume he was really high on their board, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was another one. I don't know if he, you know, that that actually quietly was kind of one of the weirder recruitments because he decommitted from Notre Dame. Stealth visited Michigan. I don't know if anybody had that visit when he was actually there and then kind of committed to Michigan like less than two weeks after he decommitted from Notre Dame. So uh, that one was uh, a really interesting recruitment. But, uh, yeah, those are some of the more interesting battles, I guess. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the other ones, there there was no battle. Uh, Gabe Newberg was Michigan all the way when they offered. Hinton committed really early, considered committing the day Michigan offered him, which was when he was a freshman in high school. Quentin Johnson, Michigan kind of had that one from the beginning. I always felt good about their chances with DJ Turner. They did a really good job there. Partridge did a really good job in that recruitment. Um, Kent Velasquez, those guys are guys I think were Michigan locks when they offered. Charles Thomas, I mean, he committed like five years ago. <laughs> so, you know, there there's guys that, you know, Jack Stewart is another guy, kind of a Michigan fit there. His parents, I think he's got a lot of uh, – at least his dad is in the service, I believe. Just a Michigan fit, I guess. Like, there's just a good fit there. So, um, but I guess you could argue Carpenter was a big win too, though. I think the Crystal Ball was 100% Clemson. Hmm. You know, so that, I guess that was quietly a pretty big one too. So, they won their share of battles, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. So, looking at this class, because we've talked about it's a it's a good class. Nine top 200 recruits, I believe, 12 or 13 four-star or higher recruits. Should fans, say fans who don't follow recruiting and just want to know what's happening with the team, 
How many of these guys do you think could project to the two deep this fall? Obviously, Charbonnet, I think there's going to be a lot put on, you know, maybe not put on his shoulders, but he could have a lot put on his shoulders if he's if he's up to it. Mozzie Smith, uh, there's a little bit of a need at defensive tackle. Are there any other guys you think, because, you know, there are f- holes to be filled, but it does seem like Michigan's now at that point where they're filling, they're replacing starters with a lot more second or third year guys. Anyone, uh, let's say, other than Smith and Charbonnet, you think could be in immediate contention for a two deep spot? Well, we go back to Hill again, right? I mean, I oh, think sorry, that, yeah, no, yes. no, no, you're, no <laughs> that was a dummy. He has, I mean, he's, he's not an early enrollee, right? But um, I, I mean, I think he'd be the favorite mm-hmm. at the free next to Metellus. Uh, that's Open spot, off, yeah. This is based off his talent alone. You know, that that means that's nothing negative against uh, Hawkins or any whoever else is going to be competing there. But or Sammy Faustin, who I know had some uh, a really good set of bowl practices, is a guy they really mm-hmm. like. But Hill's just that talented. You know, as a guy I think could come in and play right away. Uh, Chris Hinton too. Like mm-hmm. so the thing about Chris is like he was a guy who committed really early. He didn't go to any of the Nike camps, none of the Under Armour camps. Still got it. Still scored an invite to the Army game. He fell. We gave him a pretty big dent, or we knocked him down kind of far in a in a fall, like a fall senior film evaluation ranking. I think we bumped him down about fifty or sixty spots, and then he came to the Army game and was awesome. Uh, with the dire need they have, and the interior. Uh, I think he's had a, I think both he and Smith have a, a real big opportunity to come in and compete early. Mm-hmm. Let the record Besides, show I uh <laughs> yeah. I omitted two five-star recruits. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's I just fine. was looking at the list wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right, but but you're right about Charbonnet. Um yeah, it's like everywhere else, I don't know. I mean, offensive line, I think it takes something because they're that, like I said, the one of the biggest things about this class, it's not so much that they filled a need per se on the offensive line, but they're finally like there's going to be considerable depth mm-hmm. across the board up front now, and that's the first time you could say that as a Michigan fan or in the program in I don't know how long, you know, because now you got you have four at least you have four returning starters. And then you have a wealth of talent, experienced talent behind, you know, the guys like Filiaga and Honigford even looked good in the interior last year when he got the opportunity. Uh, Spinellis is a guy I think who's always been productive. He's been a productive guy when he's been in there. And then you have the two young tackles in Mayfield and Hayes who may have gotten more hype than anybody, you know, last off season or, or uh, I mean, during the season and in some bowl practices and stuff like that you add six more guys in there and you all of a sudden, you know, cause I think like in a, in any other year or in other years, I think you, a guy like Nolan Rumler is a guy who would be competing right away. I mean, that Nolan Rumler was created to play uh interior line in the big 10. Like he's mm-hmm. a perfect, he's, he might be the guy outside of like the no doubters, like a Hill um, Rumler may be the guy who has like the highest floor of any prospect in the class is a guy who's like, there's almost no way he's not going to be productive, right? It's just a matter of will he be like an all Big Ten, all American kind of guy, or will he be like a reliable starter? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's he the the bus factor for him is like very very minimal. So 
Um, so yeah, I mean, otherwise it's, it's just hard to say like, you know, the other, the kind of the wild card too is like what Gaddis decides to do with the offense, because if, if they are going to run a bunch of guys out wide, if they're going to have a bunch of people out wide, I think that opens it up for guys like Giles Jackson to make mm-hmm. an immediate impact. Sane Rastill, George Johnson, you know, maybe depending who comes out of that pack, you know, is maybe the most college ready, you know? So, um, but besides that, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Like, like guys like Mike Morris, I think he's going to need some time. Anthony Solomon's going to have to hit the weight room a little bit. Um, Eric all, uh, you know, with Gentry leaving, I suppose, you know, depending on how they utilize their tight ends this year, we'll see there. Two twenty five. That's a little, yeah, little he, svelte. And, right. And rolled early as well, you know, mm. so I think they'll get him where they want it. And you know, with, what about Gabe Newberg too? I always look at any guy who enrolls early most of the time as at least a possibility because you never know. And mm-hmm. that's where it's like the recruiting rankings can become null and void. They do become technically, they do become null and void the minute a guy steps on campus. Right. And uh, they need edge rushers. Yeah. You know, so who, what do we, who are we to say that Newberg isn't a guy that's that comes right in and impresses the hell out of them and earns his spot. You know, I look at Ojabo also enrolled early Ojabo, maybe a guy that's going to take a little bit longer, you know? So um, I'm curious about that. And then, cause you mentioned Newberg first, cause I think fans can look at the speed and the strength and things. And how, how much more does he have to learn if he's really just this freak athlete? I mean, cause like I look at someone like Uche, I mean, he was just like, I mean, he wasn't necessarily stopping the run, but like for pass rushing situations, it was just his speed. And, you know, there was some technique, but it was really a lot of, seemed like from my vantage point, raw talent. Like, is Ojabo someone you see, like, you know, as you said, if they just need edge rushers, would they feasibly just throw him in there in the rotation and, you know, work on the rest of it later just to get that speed out there? Uh,. Well, that's the thing you mentioned Uche, but you got to remember, I mean, that was Josh's third year this year, right? So it wasn't an immediate type deal for him, which Uche's career has pretty much played out the way. I know he's a guy I wrote a lot about uh, when he committed and signed is like, it's played out almost exactly the way Michigan envisioned it as they didn't see him as an immediate guy, but knew he had a lot of talent. You know, it's it's not as easy as just lining up and running by somebody, but <laughs> yes. Well, no, but I mean, it, it, you could argue it it can be if a guy is that talented, right? But um, but with Ojabo, I mean, he's only been playing football for a few years. I think couple he's got, years. played seventeen football games. Yeah, so it's like it's one of those types of deals where it's just, uh, you know, there's just I would bet the coaches would say that he's got a ton to learn, right? You know, mm-hmm. and with Newberg as a guy, I assume could be incorrect here, but I don't think it's the case. He's a guy who's played football probably his whole life. Right. So, you know, maybe has more of a innate feel for just the game. And, um, you know, again, you know, it's like, that's the thing you do. Newberg's, uh, ranking, I know his original ranking and let me, I have to take a look and see where he ended. Well, he's at seven seventy seven in the composite. So I want to see, because the interest, there's an interesting story about his ranking. So we have him in the 86. Yeah, I mean, so he's pretty much stayed level throughout. And the thing about his ranking is, I know when he was originally graded in 86 by 24-7 Sports, it was uh, Bill Green, who I mentioned before, who's like our resident guy in Ohio. I mean, he's he is Mr. Ohio on the recruiting trail for as far as, evalu- especially how evaluations go. Mm-hmm. 
basically recruited him in like a, or uh, evaluated him in like a mud bowl hmm. type game and said, you know, that he didn't really think he got a fair shake as far as, you know, being able to play on like an actual football field right. and evaluate him. But it's interesting is that his ranking rating stayed pretty much the same. So, uh, you know what I mean? So you never know. It was like, I know that Newberg was a guy that Al Washington was especially high on, whether whatever that's worth now. Um, you know, it was a guy that he, well, but yeah, yeah you know what I mean? Like different coaches, yeah. like he's basically still on the table for Newberg. Um, and the other thing too, people, again, like they don't like when you compliment a rival, uh, but I am of the school that if Michigan State likes a guy at defensive end, that that means that he has a chance to be a pretty good football player. And Newberg was offered earlier by Michigan State, and Michigan State actually led the crystal ball until hmm. Michigan offered. You know, and, and uh, you know, I mean, Michigan State is turning another walk-on into a potential All-American in Willicus. I mean, yeah. they have a really yeah. good eye and a really good knack for evaluating guys who can rush the quarterback. So, um, you know, I, I look at that, too, as a potential positive as far as Newberg goes. But, you know, there's a lot of guys. Like, I look at the cornerbacks. I don't I don't know if any of those guys will be on the two deep, especially with LaVert Hill coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, it may depend on who emerges out of that group as far as the second guy. Yeah, they've got a you lot know, of guys like, to jump, though, right? I right, mean, that's what I'm saying. You, you know, got Ambry Thomas. You got Vincent Jamon Gray. Green, you got Vincent Gray. Yeah, you Miles got a lot Sims, of guys there. Yeah. Right, so there's a ton of guys there that, you know, but again, the more teams are throwing the ball, the more teams are spreading things out, you're going to need more bodies. So, again, Jalen Perry already on campus. Who knows? You know, he's there's about five or six guys in the class I kind of look at as, like, enigma-type guys who, like, they weren't heavily evaluated. Their recruitments were pretty quiet. You know, it's like I look at Perry, uh, all definitely Mike Morris. I think Mike Morris is a total wild card for them. Charles Thomas, who, you know, is a question I've been asking myself when looking at the class is like, is Charles Thomas a guy that we've been sleeping on too much? Because we know Michigan's not afraid to maybe move on from a guy who's committed too early. Uh, you know, in the recruiting process. I mean, they took a commitment from Thomas like t- literally two years ago, kept him, stayed on him, recruited him, and then signed him, you know. And it's like with linebacker, you know, they only signed McGrone in 18. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it felt like linebacker was like somewhat of a need in 19. And Thomas is a guy they they, they took immediately and, and hung on to. You know, it's like maybe there's more to this guy than what evaluators and what we were giving him credit for too. So, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting. Stuff. I have a question about the early enrollees because yeah. you mentioned, you know, if they're, if they're on campus already, there's always a chance. Does Michigan have a, how do they decide who, cause, cause there is a limit. I, I if I'm not mistaken, it, it's comes down to how many seniors you have departing. Um, and then that also limits, there's, there's a hitch where if you have a certain amount of in, early enrollees, you can oversign more but but anyway regardless there is a finite limit to how many players you can have on campus early so how does michigan like how do they determine yeah and what does it's it mean a, if you are an early ro- enrollee even if what regardless of where you're ranked the fact that you're there does that mean that you're competing for a job or does it is it just a convenience or how does it work uh I mean, it's my sense. I've never don't I don't really have like a super concrete answer. Uh, my sense is that it's 
I mean, as that with anything in this is it's always a wide variety of factors. Like for instance, I know Jack Stewart was looking at trying to enroll early and it didn't work out. Now I don't know if that's because Michigan said, you know, Hey, you know, cause none of their offensive linemen, I don't believe none of their offensive linemen enrolled early. Right. So like, yeah. I have to believe that as we talked about earlier, where yes, they signed six, but they're also pretty stocked up front as we're maybe with the amount of spots that they could get on campus early is that maybe they prefer to get X, Y, and Z positions up first ahead of like, as a prior ahead of as priority wise ahead of like, you know, it's like I'm sure they wanted Charbonnet to get on unroll early. Right? Yeah, that probably was a definite right? yes. Yeah, and then they oh, and then they always try. At least I believe. Now, did Milton enroll early last year? I don't he remember, did. but he did. Yeah, so I think every quarterback under Harbaugh has enrolled early. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, McCaffrey didn't. Okay, because his parents his parents wouldn't let him, but Michigan wanted him to. So I think that they like to get their quarterbacks up early as well. Besides that, I don't know if it's just a. I, I don't know. You know, because it's weird. Like it, it does vary wildly. I mean, I think. I mean, it's it's the same thing as early signing day, though. I think schools would like to get as many guys up early as they can, right? I mean, it's to the mm-hmm. benefit of the team if you can get more of your new fresh recruits up early. For instance, we we're talking about Clemson's class. They signed twenty nine guys, seventeen early enrollees this year for Clemson. <laughs> yeah, seventeen. I've never seen. I've never seen a group that big. Um, they must be yeah. losing a lot of players because because there are like the, you aren't allowed to like bring your entire class right there there um, are some limits yeah no it's uh <laughs> seventeen including yeah like six six seven eight eight four star guys uh enrolling early for Clemson so hmm. that means we talked about all of the three stars they took um so yeah so it's a it's like anything else, it's a variety of factors. But like I said, I don't think it's a coincidence that they didn't that none of the offensive line enrolled early. I know again, even within that though, there were some varying factors. Like Barnhart, um, mom wanted him to stay home. Okay. Like mom didn't want mom didn't want him to enroll early. She wants him to stay home as long as he can, it sounds like, even though he's one of the closest kids to I was gonna say, that's just like drive yeah. down ninety four, right. right? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but um uh, you know, my mom wanted me to stay home for a few more months. I probably would. So, uh, well, it doesn't hurt. I mean, enjoy high school. Yeah. It's right. I know. And I love my mom. So, um, so anyway, you know, so I don't think it's a coincidence that none of those six guys like in, didn't, you know, that they're all enrolling in June. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's no need, obviously like Hill, of course they would want a Dax and Hill to enroll early, you know? So it's like, it, it is, it's a case by case basis you know because some of these guys like their schools won't allow them to enroll early right i know that like again uh i know that was the case with rumler who again i don't know if they would have wanted him to come up early or not depending on how many they can take uh, but i do know that his school would not allow him to uh i don't know with some of these other guys what the case is you know it could be some other other varying factors or whatever but you know if there's a need they're going to try to get that guy up early right mm-hmm. and like when you go back to charbonnet mozzie smith uh, always trying to get the quarterback up with McNamara. So, um, yeah, fine line, but you always want to try to get as many as you can, no doubt about it, like Clemson did. Yeah. Next question, because you, you have done this in the past. You know, Andrew Stuber, you were driving the train. Ben Mason, driving the train. Uh, Chris Evans was somebody you were you were high on when, when other people were saying, you know, 
weren't sure what his impact was. You were like, I think he can do something right away. Anyone in this class that that you're driving the bus for? Because obviously, this I would assume the top 50 recruits do not count. The top 100 recruits maybe don't count. But is there anyone outside of that that you think, whether they're being slept on, whether they were underranked, whether the timing of the recruitment, they're not being talked about, or something you saw on film or, or you know, in your work covering it, any any trains you're driving with this class? I mean, I'm, so, I mean, these are names that aren't going to be like a major surprise, I don't think, to anybody, but mm-hmm. just because, like, they are guys that we've maybe talked about a little bit. Uh, the easy one, again, this is based solely off of where they're currently ranked. Uh, on the compo- I'm going off the composite, too. I think Sainer still is one of the easier ones. I think he's going to make an impact in some way. I don't know if he's listed as a receiver. Michigan listed him at receiver. I think he's a guy who knows could end up on either side of the ball. I mean, uh, his film is like a poor man's Jabril Peppers, which is like, and I mean that in the most positive mm-hmm. possible way as a guy who just is uber athletic and also just kind of seems to kind of have that sense um, you know, when he's got the ball or when he's on the field, like just kind of has a sense of that. He knows what to do. Just like knows how to play um, as cliche as that is, you know, but you can just, like I say, like even for somebody like me, I would not call myself like an X's and O's guru by any way, shape or form. I don't think it's my strength with this stuff at all. Uh, but there are guys that you can turn on when you watch enough film, there are guys you can turn it on and you can say, yeah, this guy, like this guy, like definitely pops on film like immediately and he was definitely one of them in this class another guy again he's ranked relatively high and i'm only doing this because i don't think we bumped him up enough was quentin johnson um had a great actually had a really good week at under armor i thought he'd get a bump uh he was listed as a top performer by our analysts i think at least twice throughout the week uh for under armor did not really i don't think he saw any bump i think he stayed pretty much the same and then uh, DJ Turner's another one too. I look at DJ Turner the exact same way I look at Jamon Green from 2018. I think they're actually almost ranked identically uh, as guys who DJ Turner was a top target for Michigan at cornerback from day one. I mean, he was a guy they wanted from the very beginning, just like Green. Didn't care who his offers were at the time. Didn't care, you know, none of that, like where his rating and ranking was. He was a guy they wanted the whole time. They love his ball skills. I love his coverability, which, I mean, obviously, if you're recruiting a cornerback, those are things that you want. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, but uh, but he's a guy, like, again, I, I always, like, that's kind of the thing is, like, I'm kind of trying to talk myself into Charles Thomas, too, for what I talked about before is, like, they've usually hit on guys that they identify very early and then stay with throughout hmm. the process. And those two guys are two of the first I'm mean, look at the class and like, those are like two of the first guys I can find, like along with the obvious ones, like Hinton. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, like Charles Thomas and DJ Turner were two of the first prospects in the class that Michigan even recruited, you yeah. know? So, um, so I always look at those guys, you know, Zach Carpenter's another one like that. You know, you're always kind of looking in that 86 to 88 range for those types of guys. I've talked, but George Johnson's always been my biggest sleeper. Okay. So, and again, another guy, I think he's definitely offense, whereas Sainer still is a guy who can play either way. I think George Johnson's offense for sure. Uh, 
I do gravitate towards those guys that play quarterback in high school, uh, much like I did with Michael Barrett. Mm-hmm. I cycle as a guy who he's never going to be evaluated or ranked right because he's playing quarterback and you know, he's not going to play quarterback at the college level. It makes it's difficult for our evaluators to It's like, how do you, you know, you can't, you can't grade a guy. Like if he's going to play receiver at Michigan, like you can't grade him off of when he plays quarterback and drops back and the play breaks down. He just makes plays on his feet. Like you can't grade him as a receiver based solely off of that type of film. Right. So it's just, those are always hard ones to do. And so, uh, but he's always been my biggest sleeper for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the thing is people don't realize like uh, he was a take for Georgia when Michigan got him. He was a definitely a take for Florida state. I mean, that's who Michigan chose. Uh, he chose Michigan over Florida state. And I know that saying that he chose Michigan over Florida state might not sound good because Florida state was horrible last year, but this was before the season last year and Taggart was like a new hire. So it was like a pretty big, you know, I thought that was actually another quiet kind of recruiting win for them. I mean, he's from Florida. So, um, so yeah, so I think he's my ultimate sleeper, but I look at guys like Quentin Johnson, DJ Turner, Charles Thomas as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to combine two questions here. One, uh, you mentioned Chris Partridge, once again, top 10 in the recruiting class. We've talked a little bit about the assistant coaches, uh, in, in their role. I'm curious when you look at this class in finality, and we, we mentioned pretty fearless going into untapped areas. I know I did a breakdown in December of where they all came from, and it was like Nevada. They had never taken anybody from Nevada. Oklahoma, basically uncharted waters, obviously. It's not like they were uh, heading into nowhere with that because Daxton Hill is a five-star recruit, but more Massachusetts connections, uh, New Jersey, D.C., you know, a big increase in Ohio. They got they had more recruits from Ohio than anywhere else. Georgia was the second biggest state, continuing that pipeline. Looking at both the coaches and the areas, what what were some of your key takeaways there, either coaches that are on the rise as recruiters? I know uh, Al Washington is, is gone. You know, he was probably a, a big riser in the recruiting ranks, but – and then also kind of keeping a, an eye on 2020, knowing who's who's on the staff now. Any Anything for our listeners to know in regards to maybe some of these pipelines continuing, new ones emerging? Uh, what what sort of things is Michigan looking at? I don't know if that question made any sense, to be honest. No, it but, does. So, yeah. Okay, so we'll talk about the coaches, and then we'll talk about 2020 a little sure. bit. Then. Um, yeah, so, like, this is it's kind of funny. Uh, Al Washington is – I mean, he's already, he already reeled in or helped reel in Jack Sawyer, who in 2021, which I know that's a ways away, but Jack Sawyer is probably going to be a five-star mm-hmm. uh, at Pick North, where uh, I think North, and I think that's where Jake Butt went to high school. Yeah, Taco went to Pick Central. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. So, uh, you know, Al Washington was a guy that had Michigan in that one early. Uh, he committed to Ohio State already last week, which is a little bit of a surprise, even though I thought he was commit commit to Ohio State eventually. But anyway... It was like Al Washington got a lot of the pub in the 19 class when he was doing a lot of recruiting for Michigan. Mm-hmm. But the one thing is, is like, you know, I talk about Sharon Moore. One of the differences is, is that, you know, you, they were kind of, each of those coaches were kind of tied into like who their big target was. And with, uh, with Washington, it was Harrison, Zach Harrison. And with Moore, it was Daxon Hill. Moore mm-hmm. won his 
right? Yeah. He won his battle. He beat you could I mean he beat Bama head to head for Daxton Hill. Whereas Washington, you know, wasn't able to close the deal for Michigan with Harrison, which yeah, you know, Ohio, whatever. Probably like, not for lack of effort from Washington. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, it's uh when you have kids who are afraid to commit early to Michigan out of Ohio for fear of retribution from friends and high school coaches and that's how ridiculous the uh, atmosphere is in Ohio. But, um, you know, so I look at Sharon Moore as a guy who he's got his hand now in 2020 He's already got his hand in some really big recruitments. Like he's actually involved now with the Braden McGregor recruitment in Port Huron. I think McGregor's one of Michigan's top two or three overall targets in the class. Uh, a guy who, when we re-rank in a, in a week or so, Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say in a week or so. I don't know when the 2020 rankings are coming out. I, they're coming out soon, but I don't know exactly when. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I know. But, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's been a week since the podcast. You said it was going to be a week. Do people actually message you and say that? I hope yeah, I not. Mean, if, I, if I was to set a timeline and say, like, that it's going to be a week and yeah. it was like a week and a half, I, I probably would get a message. But, um, you know, so Joe, uh, so Moore is involved in that recruitment. He's also involved in the A.J. Henning recruitment. Henning is the top 100 guy. He was just on campus a couple weeks ago. Perfect fit for the Gaddis offense. Uh, you know, so, and think about it. That's, he's a tight ends coach. That's a defensive lineman and a wide receiver. Yeah, and you he pulled in put, the you, biggest safety recruit Michigan's right, ever had. Right. So, you, you, the one thing you always got to watch, you, wanna, you always put your best recruiters on your top targets. And so I think for them to give more of that responsibility is a great indication that they feel really good about his ability to recruit guys, right? So, um, so he's definitely an up and Do you know what sure. he does well? This I don't mean that in a in, a, in an insulting it's, way. No, no, was... no. It's, it's always it's it's the from my experience, the most common denominator in any great recruiter at the college level is passion passion aggressiveness and then just that there's that art that that intangible like art to it as far as like the ability to connect with a kid and his family and his high school coaches like which again every guy does it differently um you know and like but but it is it is it's an art that's why a guy like partridge who's born and raised in new jersey his whole high school his whole coaching career was basically in new jersey you know, as a guy that can go down into South Georgia and pull out a top 100 guy, right? You know, it's like, um, so there's that, there's just that art to it. And like mm-hmm. Moore is, is a guy who must have it. I mean, I, we don't probably, I don't probably don't do enough in talking about, you know, like talking to some of the commits and getting a better idea of what they like about certain members of the staff, right? Well, cause like more, like Jay Harbaugh and Chris Partridge, you know, they're very, active on social media they're very right. like eccentric they seem like cut from the same cloth as jed fish you know where they're like trying different approaches to things and it doesn't always you know work they don't get everybody but it seemed like they were really eccentric shown more at least when we talked to him he seems he's he's you can tell he's you can i see where the passion comes from but yeah right. he, he seems like almost a little calmer so right. i, mean, I well, wonder more, yeah what right. his what his kind of his shtick is a little bit he finished. I mean, he finished 45th in the country That's in the bad. recruiter rankings for the year <laughs> for a 32 his, his, year old first 
year right. and group of five head coach his, or assistant his coach? Average, his average uh, ranking per recruit was 93.49, which is <laughs> among – I'm looking here at the top of the list. I mean, until you get to the very top, which we have – Pete Golding for Alabama, his average recruit ranking was 96.39. That would be somewhere around like 30, 40th to 50th overall in the country was his average. Hmm. So way to go, Pete Golding. But um, so, yeah, no. So he's a guy definitely on the rise. We've talked enough. We've talked not enough. I mean, we've talked about Partridge. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. has clearly established himself as one of the nation's best recruiters, hands down. Uh, he's a guy you put in. You just put him in there, even if he's are even if the kids already got two or three coaches already recruiting him, just throw Partridge in there too. Like that's just the way he, he's he's a guy he'll go anywhere, you know he'll he goes the extra mile. And again, that's like I said, that's kind of the common theme with a lot of these guys you see near the top, uh, almost every year, you know. And so, um, and then with the new hires. So the thing is, you know, my, so we're what your net loss is Madison, Hamilton and Washington. And then you add Nua Campanelle and McDaniels, right? Yeah. I think that the, strictly from a recruiting standpoint, it's a huge, oh, and Gaddis too. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's a massive one. Cause Gaddis himself finished technically. Okay. So he finished, he would have finished 22nd overall in the country if he had finished out with Bama. And that was with only four verbals. Um, hmm. So Gaddis is another guy who's been at or near the top of the rankings every year, which I think is, you know, so I think the, the net gain on the recruiting trail for the staff is massive. Uh, you lose a really good recruiter. And I still think Greg Madison is a really good recruiter. Um. I think Al Washington was going is be going to become a great recruiter. He's going to be awesome at Ohio State. I mean, he's a Columbus native. His dad played for the Buckeyes. Like he's going to kill he's it. He's got in Ohio passion State. and energy for right, sure right, right. through the roof. Ab- really, absolutely. So you know he so that hire for Ohio State made you know it made total sense to go after a guy like him uh, and to put him on some of your top targets. Right. I mean, he's going to be really good for them. So, but on the flip side, I think all four guys that are now a member of the Michigan staff, I think are going to be assets on the recruiting trail. I don't think I was just, I guess he's gone. We can call a spade a spade is that I, I just have never believed that Pep Hamilton was an asset on the recruiting trail whatsoever. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the, the net gain from Gaddis to Hamilton on the strictly, we're speaking strictly recruiting. Right. Right. Um, is huge. Um, uh, Michigan will now have an offensive coordinator who will actively recruit prospects on a consistent basis. Um, So I think, and that's, you know, that's huge. And so I think, uh, and then, like I said, you have guys like Nua and Campanile who are both real, are young, kind of in that same mold as like, as a Moore or a Partridge when he started, you know, as the guys who are young, um, enthusiastic, and they're going to be really good at connecting with kids. Seem like big, you know? big time player coaches, right? And yeah. so, um, and so, I think it's going to be those guys both have really high ceilings as recruiters for sure, right? Um, you know, and then uh, we talked and Jay Harbaugh too, who I think is easily their most underrated recruiter. So that's you like know, what I, seven coaches under thirty eight. 
Yeah, they they so this is that's the thing is like this is a very young coaching staff now all of a sudden and mm-hmm. uh a lot of talent on the recruiting trail, right? Uh you know the one McDaniel's kind of the wild card. It's like interesting as I know and I know this has been talked about now. We mentioned it. I think somebody mentioned it on the board. I don't remember. You know, McDaniel's father is like an Ohio high school coaching legend. Yeah. At Canton, I think it's Canton McKinley. It's one of the schools out of Canton. Uh, one of the big programs out of Canton uh, is his, his dad is like a legend. And then obviously he has the connection to Josh McDaniels, but there are a ton of roots in Ohio there. So, you know, I assume, I strongly assume that McDaniels will be maybe their lead guy in Ohio uh, with a variety of other guys involved too. But I, I do you think he'll be, it, he can I, be from, from your, from your insight, do you think he's someone who can hit the ground running recruiting? Because he hasn't really done it. He's been more of an NFL analyst. He, he coached at Rutgers for. He was. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, he's done it a little bit. I think. Yeah, I think so. I think he's still a young enough guy. I don't know how old he is, but um, thirty-eight, I believe. Yeah, I mean, guys at that age are still trying to work their way up the chain, right? And so I think you know, I suspect that he'll be. I know Giles Jackson, who will basically talk to any and every media that will contact him, <laughs> uh, has said that McDaniel's. He really liked McDaniel's. Thought he was. A, you know, uh, wasn't concerned about, I remember who departed then, but McDaniels kind of took over that recruitment and, uh, he was really high. I mean, he really liked him a lot and then mm-hmm. thought he was going to be a good fit. So, uh, you know, again, any guy like that under 40, yeah, you're probably looking at a guy that at least has the potential to be a really good recruiter. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering it, if you, yeah. So Giles Jackson speaking highly, I think that Right, that's not irrelevant. Guys, yeah, these are college. I said McDaniel's maybe being the exception, but now it's like all like pretty much all college-ish guys except for Zordich and McDaniel's, right? Because mm-hmm. their staff used to be such a mix, and you'd get that on the recruiting trail too, with a guy like it's like Greg Jackson was a really, really I think he's an amazing position coach, but he was just not an aggressive recruiter. Hmm. Same with Brian Smith. But you remember those are guys that came from the NFL, you know, and it's like, it's totally different. You know, it's these guys like, um, you know, it's like when the D line coach, when, when Madison left and they talk about, you know, one of the names that was brought up was like a guy like Jerry Montgomery as a guy that maybe Michigan would be interested in. You know, it's like, I could tell you coaching in the NFL is like, these guys get to spend an infinite amount more time with their family than they do when they're in the, in yeah. the college world oh, yeah. because, of, because of all this, all the recruit it's, and it's all about recruiting. Right. So it's like you bring, when you're going for, when you're bringing in assistance from the NFL, it's really hard to, it can be really difficult for that lifestyle change to get these guys enthusiastic about being on the recruiting trail so often because it's just such a grind, you know? And so I think now they're in a spot where, you have like, I think you have a really good mix and a really high ceiling for, you know, a group of coaches that I think will vast majority will grind. Another guy we, we can might as well just talk about the whole staff <laughs> is like, is, well, I mean, we pretty much have, but like, I talk about like a guy like Warner who, when he was high, when he was brought on, I think the book on Warner was that kind of that same deal as like what I mentioned about Greg Jackson is really an amazing, one of the best position coaches in the country regardless of position, but not really looked upon as a really great recruiter necessarily. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, been, that was mentioned. Yeah, right. So there have been, you know, look at 2020 because 19 is all locked up. There have been so many 2020 offensive linemen that have mentioned Michigan as among the schools that are recruiting them the hardest right now. And that's a testament to the effort that he's been putting in on the recruiting trail, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. you get a guy like that. It's like, so I think that, uh, again, this is all strictly from a recruiting standpoint. I don't know what, you know, how, like, what kind of impact these guys will make in the, in, on the, in the film room or in the X's and O's in the, on the field this season. Right. It's that the jury's still out there, but from strictly a recruiting standpoint, I think there's, they've made significant upgrade for sure across pretty much across the board. I think Washington was a huge loss mm-hmm. and will be a really big pain in Ohio. I think Madison still got some good years left in him on the recruiting trail yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but I think overall they've taken a more, I think they saw the benefit of like Sharon Moore. I was going to say, it's, and, it's clearly Harbaugh has a type or a, a type of coach that works for him right. with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. So we got a question about the states, and that's kind of a tough one to predict. But based on what I can see, Gaddis, a lot of his top recruits at Penn State and Alabama, Jersey, DMV area, Campanelli comes from the Northeast, Jersey. Uh, Sean Nua, you know, does have – ties to Arizona does have some is he of Samoan descent yeah yeah I so so, so. I he's from Amer- I think he's from American Samoa okay okay yeah. but he also has has he coached at Navy so there's some right. Maryland ties that obviously Navy kind of yeah, recruits indeed. nationally but mm-hmm. I would say if if I were to guess and you can you can weigh in with with your thoughts it seems like this year if there is going to be one trend i think partridge is going to keep doing everything he can to get georgia i think that's it almost you you might be more privy to this than i am but it seems like from his comments that's like his personal mission is to create this georgia pipeline i think those were tyrone wheatley's parting words to him uh you know but when he went to jacksonville was like you know, Chris, go get Georgia. That's that's where the key is. Well, because they put in a lot of effort there to be get that. We, we'll yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So so it seems like you know that's going to keep being it. You know, Jay Harbaugh seems to be uh, continuing to find skill position players and, and other people out west. But with the new new hires, it it seems like there's a there's going to be a push. Maybe not just that Jersey fence the garden hullabaloo, but but Jersey. Philly area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, kind of that mid-Atlantic seaboard. Seems like that, if if anywhere in particular, is where the new hires would make their biggest regional-based impact, if that's the phrase that we're going to use. We, we did get a que- couple questions about that. Anything else you see emerging? Again, not everything is has to be labeled a pipeline or whatever, but but certain areas where they might have more success in 2020? Well, I mean, I, I, it's too early to predict success. Mm-hmm. Uh, three states, I guess, that I expect them to hit much harder than normal this cycle. One I've written quite a bit about, and it's not so much about ties or anything like that. It's just areas they seem to be putting extra effort in. Uh, Arizona. Hmm. Okay. They've offered uh, they've offered ten prospects out of Arizona in the 2020 class. I think I wrote that's as many as they've offered in the last like six cycles combined. Oh, okay. Uh, Arizona. Now, <laughs> not all those, like a few of those guys, like uh, Kelly Ringo, 
and uh, Damian Sellers. Like those are guys I don't think Michigan's going to be a factor for, but there are a handful of guys. They already got J.D. Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, the quarterback verbal in 2020. A uh, kid named Noah Nelson, offensive line. Tosh Baker, offensive line. Lathan Ransom at safety. And then B. John Robinson at running back, who I think their running back board's pretty crowded right now, but I think B. John Robinson is their top target at running back right now in the 2020. So, mm-hmm. um, so Arizona's a spot that they've really hit hard. I think that they had six different assistants in Arizona throughout the winter evaluation period. Um, there re- is that a is that Nua a, is that a, it's a the better, state's it's good? A better, no, no, it has nothing to do with Nua, and that's kind of one of the things I, I had to like make clear when they were sure making their way through there. Uh, well, a lot of it's just because it's a better cycle than usual mm-hmm. in Arizona, right? Um, you know, I don't. Are they going to attack Arizona this hard every cycle? No, but there are other programs that are trying to do the same thing right now. Okay, granted, of course, and you know, it's like probably get an eye roll here, but I think Ohio State has made Arizona a pretty big priority this cycle too. Like they're they're in on a few of those same guys. So um Arizona's one. New Jersey is another. And then I know New Jersey has been talk, written and talked about so many times with as it come for Michigan, but really the last couple cycles, I don't think it's been huge, huge for them. I think this cycle, I think it kind of goes back to being a main stay area for them. That is in part due to the Campanelle hire. Uh, you know, basically, like, actually, Campanelle is kind of the part of the, was originally part of that other faction uh, in New Jersey when there was all that manufactured BS from the, uh, that war on Rutgers that NewJersey.com pretty much created out of thin <laughs> air, uh, you know, to try to draw attention to Rutgers football program. You know, it was like he was kind of on the other side of that fence. You know, the Campanilles at, at Bergen Catholic. I don't, you know, with Don Bosco, St. Peter's Prep, or programs that were never really big fans of Partridge in particular, mm. and thus Michigan by uh, association. You know, and I think having both of those guys on board now will help Michigan in some of those areas. Mm. You know, with Jordan Morant. So Campanelles, I think it's his brother, is the head coach at Bergen Catholic. And Bergen Catholic's got some legit guys coming up. Like Jordan Morant, I think, is a top target for them at safety. I think Michigan's chances went way up when Campanelle got hired. Mm-hmm. And uh try to think of another guy. I think they just offered a kid out of uh, – ah, his name escapes me. They offered Fadil Diggs, who I think they'll probably go after. I don't know if he's a top-type guy for them. I think Aaron Davis. There's a, another DN out of Jersey. I'll probably post about him tomorrow or something uh, that they really are appear to be really, really high on. Uh, you know, so I think New Jersey will be a kind of a place for them again. Not that it, not that it was ever being ignored, right, but I think right. that it'll be bigger party. And the other one, this kind of goes back to the Hoke days for me a little bit, is I think Michigan's going to start to make some pushes in Virginia again too. Michigan under Hoke really recruited Virginia hard. If you go back to the Deshaun Hand days, mm-hmm. Derek Green, Spate, um, Spate. You know, it's like. Okay, I know that Derek Green didn't turn out to be a good player, but it was a really highly hotly contested recruitment, you know. So that was a big at the time that was a huge recruiting win. I mean, Michigan devoted a lot of resources to Virginia under Hoke. Uh, I think 2020, I think you're going to see them make some pushes in Virginia again. One guy that immediately comes to mind is Malcolm Green, four-star safety out of Highland Springs, is a guy I think is somebody that they're really high on early. Uh, they just offered a kid out of Episcopal in Alexandria, which is where. Luigi Valane played football, hmm. uh, 6'2 cornerback. His name escapes here. I know I just wrote about him yesterday. I'm actually – oh, it's Elijah Gaines. His name is right on my screen, actually. Uh, you know, so 
I think Virginia is a spot that they're going to hit really, really hard. Uh, so those are three states. Like each higher, the DMV, you talk about uh, Baltimore. Like, yeah, they've offered about, like, like 20 people from Maryland. Already. Right. So, so DMV, DMV is, the, is what it's usually. DMV is uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. That mm-hmm. area of the country for 2020 and 2021 is absolutely loaded. Like, Mike Loxley and Maryland have a legitimate chance to put something together, in my opinion, just based on how loaded that area is for the next two cycles. Uh, it's going to be really, really hotly contested there. I mean, those there. I think some of the bigger recruiting battles in the country are going to take place in in those areas. Uh, multiple five star guys. You talk about we talk about Quentin Johnson, you know, at, at at St. John's College. That team, they are loaded, like they're bubbling over with 2020 and 2021 talent. Um, four or five five star guys in 2020 alone, I want to say, <laughs> um, and that's just one program, right? Yeah, you, you still have Dematha, you have Gonzaga. Uh, like I said, you go. St. Francis uh, isn't too shabby. Yeah, well, she's. Uh, forgot about St. Francis Academy, then that's might be the biggest one of all, really. I think I mean, Michigan probably, has eight offers out. Obviously, no, this is... Bif- 14. 14? <laughs> total between the 20, 21, 20, 21, and 22 they have, I think, 14 offers out. It's Biff Pogey's Again, school. Yeah. Uh, it's a whole other subject. I don't know how many of those are offers or, quote, offers. Okay. But uh, but either way, though, um, you know, they just got Osmond Savage out of there, so... You know, it's it's going to be an area that's hotly, hotly contested. The things I'm most interested in, you know, I think I wrote a few weeks ago, I'm not really thrilled with what they've done in California. Um, they've been a li- they were a little more aggressive after I wrote about it. Not that it, it's not that's not a coincidence or, or it's not. <laughs> I've got your article on the bulletin board. <laughs> OK, I, I was I meant to say that it's it's not a coincidence in the idea that I knew Michigan was going to be out in California shortly after I wrote that article. Um, so I knew that they were going to do more than what they had done at that point. To me, they still didn't do enough. Hmm. In my opinion, when you consider how like USC and UCLA are both going to say Oregon's down. Oregon struck gold right now with their California. Well, cause Cristobal knows how to recruit. Right. And so yeah. I mean, Oregon did Oregon, Oregon dominated California last cycle and they dominated Southern California. You get Kayvon Thibodeau, you get, I mean, there's a bunch, they had, I think they had like five or six top 150 guys out of SoCal alone. Hmm. Um, And then you have Washington in the Northern part of the state who's doing a really good job. You know, it's like Michigan's got such an alumni base there. Uh, They have such a presence in, in Southern California. I look back at the, at the NCAA tournament last year when Michigan played. Filling up staples. yeah, and it was it it was like eighty Michigan twenty whoever they were playing, if not more. And it's like if that doesn't tell well, you, it Michigan's was Florida gonna... State, but yeah, <laughs> well, I know, but it's not like well, but yeah, but Ann Arbor's thousand twenty or two thousand miles from there too. It's not like they're much that much closer. Yeah, you know, I think they counted like eighty thousand in all the California cities. Eighty thousand registered alumni because. You th- right. To be a registered alumni, you have to like pay the yearly dues, you know, be somewhat involved in all that. I mean, it's just, it's right. it's nuts. So, so you know, like I say, is like I think that the I think the door is open more than it's been in a long time in California on the recruiting trail, and I just think Michigan 
maybe needs to do a little bit better of a job there. Um, Ohio, I mean, that's going to be interesting too, because, you know, how much of a drop off is there going to be without Meyer, even though he's like still around apparently, Um, you know, it's like, how much is there going to be a drop off there? I don't think just strictly within the state of Ohio, I don't think there's going to be much of a drop off just because Ohio is much like it's, it's basically part of the SEC in my opinion, as far as like just that, that irrationally rabid like fan base, you know, which it, to me is like a good thing and a bad thing. Like, I think you're born in Ohio. Most kids grow up in a family that wants you to go play at Ohio state. Right. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, and so I think in that regard, as long as they kind of keeps things going, which if you look at their schedule in 2019, there, there's almost no way they don't win 10 or 11 games, uh, you know, that he will probably keep the momentum going there. Right. Rest of the country. I don't know. We'll see. I still think they're going to be fine better than people think they will be without urban Meyer, but, uh, but how Michigan attacks Ohio will be interesting to me. And then I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with Michigan and their alumni base is they can kind of pepper themselves across the country because there is some kind of Michigan presence in almost any major city you go into. That's one of the benefits of having the biggest alumni network uh, in the world. Am I right? Am I right? Is it the world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things they're going to count it, right, whatever right, makes I it know. sound like they're the biggest. <laughs> right. Yeah. According to like, but, uh, yeah, but like uh, if yeah. you go, I think I want to say New York times did a study of like most popular college f- football team in every zip code in America. And it's like every city Michigan is first, second, or third. You know, other than like Atlanta, the Florida cities, Texas, but like New York, Manhattan, they're the number one in like every zip code. Uh, you know, Jersey, they're like number two everywhere. DC, they're number two. There you go. California, so like, number two. That's why, and that's why, like when people freak out that they aren't landing every in-state target. You know, that to me, I'm like, you know, Michigan is one of those few schools that can go to any city in the country and have a shot right hmm. away. You know, in my opinion, I mean, they got guys they like in St. Louis, Kansas City, Dallas, Houston, you know, it's like, yeah, there's always going to be like, you know, like Texas has been kind of difficult to recruit too, and it's not going to get any easier now. Tech, like California right now is where Texas was a few years ago when Texas was down. A&M was struggling under Sumlin, you know, and I felt like the door was open there for some big programs to get in. And I think Ohio state Ohio did a great state job. Did a, getting, yeah. Yeah. Really Ohio, got in. Well, and that's what Ohio state did in Texas is what I think Michigan should be trying to do in California. Right. right. So like, cause USC, UCLA, UCLA was horrible and they, yeah, they it's... recruit so weird. <laughs> they were Chip Kelly recruits so differently than anybody else does. USC pretty much has a lame duck coach right now again we i've ragged on usc enough but they just finished i think 17th in the country mm-hmm. their their recruiting class was 17th and i want to say there was like 32 kids in the top 24 7 right in from california alone and usc couldn't even they got the third or fourth best class in the pac 12 <laughs> like inexcusable if you're a usc fan if you're a usc fan you should be angry right now right so what I, but you get what I'm saying though is like I think yeah it's California open season a, yeah right and Oregon jumped right on it because they know you know they went right in there mm-hmm. and uh, and did some really great stuff 
in there and that they're not slowing down either, you know? And so I think Michigan should be right there. So, so those will be interesting. Those are kind of some of the storylines I'm kind of looking at early on. Yeah. Uh, can they make any progress with miles Hinton? I don't think they will. I think he's solid to Stanford. I know they're going to keep trying, but I think his recruitment will be just like Chris's recruitment where he commits really early, but he only made the commitment when he was sure. Um, of course you should try cause he's really good, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if any, they're going to get anywhere with it. So I think that'll be one to keep an eye on is like, how long do they keep going there? Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, and what I'm kind of watching every cycle is, you know, we'll be doing a re-rank here in in an indeterminate amount of time is again, much like last cycle, who are some of those guys that Michigan has offered maybe now in the winter evaluation period or offered early on that they've been staying on, you know, which of these guys will blow up or will fly up the rankings. Right. I mean, because you know, they're, you know, it's coming, you know, a guy like, uh, well, like a Xavier Alford's a name. If you look him up from, uh, I think he's like small town in Texas guy, uh, defensive back safety guy who I think they really, really like is a kid that, Michigan offered right away in the winter evaluation period, who I think will probably be a, at least a four-star guy. I don't know how high, how high he'll go right away, mm-hmm. but that's a guy where I'm like, yeah, this is one of those guys that Michigan, I know they like him a lot. Where does he end up? You know, and like it kind of bears out their ability to evaluate. So I'm always looking at that too. Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's where I'm at. Okay. Uh, we did get one question. I, I'm going to ask it because I thought it was, I chuckled when I read it because I kind of relate to it. And I think it's also a first-time question asker. Martin Poliga, Poliga said, uh, Steve mentions macro trends with regards to recruiting in his studies. When does the focus of the list of 11 billion offers narrow to 50 that the public can follow more closely? So so I know, you know we obviously have stories on, on the offers, on people who are going to come visit. At what point, say you're you're not a – recruiting fanatic you aren't checking in on all this stuff at what point does this you know they offered this guy this guy this guy this guy this guy what time of year uh would it would it kind of whittle down to here are the top four or five targets at each position uh i mean that's that stuff's constantly changing Mm-hmm. But I would I would just bookmark our our targets page. I mean I I try to keep it. So I haven't done my post winter evaluation update on it yet. Uh, they offer a crap ton of guys. Eleven billion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, he's, he, he, I know what he's saying. It's yeah. not like you know, it's not that far fetched. Um, I try to keep it as updated as possible. Uh, I know in 2019 I made the just unforgivable mistake of having a kid listed too high on the list. Uh, is that one poster who I thought was going to like throw a hissy fit because there was a guy that Michigan wasn't recruiting anymore under high choice and not scout look. Um, <laughs> but I I'm in the process. Yeah. That just cracked me up when that happened. But anyway, uh, I'm in the process of getting going on that. So that would be a page that I would absolutely keep an eye on uh, throughout the process. If you're not a big follower into this stuff, uh, I try to keep it updated as things change, you know, and, and uh, to try to give people, that's what that, that's really what that page is designed for. Really. In my opinion, I think it's designed for like when I first change things around, I think that's designed for like the diehards to like, then we can discuss it and break it down or whatever. But uh, for just the kind of casual observer of recruiting, 
if you just check it on that page like once a month or so, it's usually been updated with where I think. And again, it's not, it's like, I think we had a, I did the VIP chat last week and like somebody asked a question like, do you know in what exact order is Michigan's offensive line recruiting board? And it's like, I would get cut off like in three seconds <laughs> if I ever gave that information. You would know away, it one right? more time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, it's, I'm not, I can't be stupid and like answer that question. So, um, so this is my, it's my opinion that targets page, but I do think it's a, what I would say is a very informed opinion on what, how their board kind of looks. Right. So mm -hmm. that's what I would do. I would focus on that target page. It's like I said, it's not updated at this very second, still kind of trying to figure things out myself a little bit. Um, but that's what I would do. Uh, and because it, it does it with Michigan, it changes quite a bit. They, you know, they're, uh, what would I say? Like they have what I would call like evolving evaluations, right? I mean, they're always, you know, guys will go up, guys will go down. Uh, you know, there's guys that are always going to be up at the top. You know, it's like a Justin Rogers is going to be a guy I don't think is going to go anywhere. Now, whether he goes to Michigan or not, it's not really the point. It's more of like, he's just really good. And Michigan's going to keep recruiting him until he figures out where he wants to go. Right. So, but then there are guys who, like I said, I talk about that Alford, is a guy who will probably move up there actually when I do the re-rank or the, the readjustment of this list, you know, it's like that guy who two or three months ago wasn't even an offer. Now I think they, you know, they watch him, they like him enough. They think he's a top guy for them. Right. So uh, that stuff's changing, it's changing every evaluation period. It's changing based on the more they learn about a certain prospect, not just off on the field, but off the field too, you know, recruitments can change in that regard. And uh, so there's a lot that goes into it, but it's also not that complicated either, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. I've discussed recruiting long enough. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll tie up some, some of these other topics. Uh, as far as team stuff, to apologies to people who had team questions, probably going to be next week. Uh, we have all off season to, to answer team questions. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that in the future. Just keep, you know, ask again next week. Or, or re-up it again, and we'll make sure we get to it. Um, hockey, we did get a question. Jer Bear wants to know, feelings heading into a pivotal weekend with MSU Hockey. You know, Steve, I don't know how much you followed Michigan Hockey. They they have some very good wins on their schedule, but then it's like every time they get a big win, they, they turn around and lose. And so they're, they're right around 500. They're 10, 12 spots out of the pairwise gonna have to be some sort of epic uh run to make it as a net large team but it it you could build toward being a a team that maybe gets home ice for a couple rounds of the of the big 10 tournament and maybe you have a chance to to snag a bid there uh, as far as michigan state a lot of top flight scores michigan it, they have the finishers michigan would love to have right now that's you know just like michigan has this complete team that plays you know good possession hockey Michigan State doesn't have that, but they do have people who who score. Uh, Hiroshi, I believe, leads the nation in, in scoring. So it's about not turning it over. Finding finishers, especially with Josh Norris out, you know, they're still, they have it, you know, some nights and they don't the other nights, but this is a big weekend. Probably need a sweep over Michigan State, and then they have to beat Notre Dame on Tuesday, weird Tuesday game. Mel is kind of pissed about how that all, all went down, uh, but... It's, you know, pro probably need six points, if not more, to have even a chance heading into the rest of the regular season. 
Uh, but Mel, I know he when he went to practice, he said, if you can't get up for these for this six day stretch, uh, you know we're, we might be better off with you not showing up to practice. Is what he told the team. So, you know, should be should be fun. Uh, you know, Michigan State being better, I think, is is probably good for for you know I, I don't I don't know about you, Steve, but I grew up like thinking Michigan Michigan State hockey rivalry was like this huge you know Red Wings Avalanche kind of thing. It was it was you know top ten teams every they're not there. But they're they're both top thirty teams. They're both competitive. They're about even in the standings. So, uh, you know, should be fun. One's at Yost, one's in Detroit, and then Michigan's got the turnaround to play Notre Dame. So those, uh, that's that's about about all I have. I mean, the big thing is just finding finishers and and goaltending consistency, uh, particularly in the seems like the first period in the second game of each weekend series is where things just. Seemed, seemed to go south, whether it was at Minnesota, in New York, at Ohio State. You know, they, they won all those games the first time, but then they, they just put themselves in holes in game two. Uh, basketball, uh, Black Engineer asks, Zach, are you finally on board with Davidson and Wisconsin being a cheap program? Uh, appreciate the call out. Probably deserved. I don't know if people saw Brad Davidson's shot, but, you know, Wisconsin uh, – I'm trying to tie these things together to save us some time. Uh, yes, that was a complete cheap shot by Davison. I got to think, and then there were a couple other ones at Murphy. Uh, got to think, you know, the Big Ten is looking at Wisconsin a little bit more closely this weekend. Big Saturday game in Ann Arbor. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but it's... Jabroni. Yeah, jabroni, yeah. Man. Now, okay, so... I gotta say though, drawing charges does not make you cheap. You know that those those shots at Murphy were cheap cheap shots. What I what? But this is what I said before. This is what I said before we went on. If you asked, you know, there's how many players in the league total? Like hundred. I think I said 120 earlier. It's probably even more than that. It's you probably got about 200. Teams. Yeah. Right. And if you pulled a hundred diehard like people who watch Big Ten basketball every day all week, you pulled and said. There was a player in the league who tried to seriously injure another player in the midst of a game. I am telling you right now that at least 80 to 85 of those people would say that if you asked who's the, who do you think was the player that tried to injure the guy, I'll bet, I'm, maybe 80 is too high just because there are so many players in the league. Mm-hmm. But I, I bet I would put a ton on the majority saying Brad Davidson. I'm curious, I, almost, who, do you, who do you think is number two there? I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I don't even know who else would cross my mind, to be honest with you. Nick Ward. But even then, it's like, I don't think Nick Ward's so much of a cheap shot guy. You know, he yeah. just, you know, I think he, he likes to talk, but I don't think he's a, you know, I actually feel bad that I said Nick Ward because I don't really think Nick Ward's ever done anything to warrant, you know, that he would actually. <laughs> I was going to say, I think there's a few but, guys on Michigan's team that yeah. might be on that. Yeah, sorry. Just, just based sorry, on Nick, that. I know you're listening out there, uh, <laughs> but you know, but, but, and that's something I feel really comfortable in saying is like, I, I, I am, I guarantee you he'd be number one on the list. And that's before this happened. Is that, you know? is that so, optics? Do you think? I don't, I don't like know. Perception. I, think it, I think it's, I think it's that it's that it's that just that cheapskate, like worm, like, way of playing the game, you know? And it's like, I get like what you're saying about the drawing that, but it's like, sometimes it's so blatantly ridiculous and floppy and just cheap. It's just, it's, 
it just you know what I'm getting at. It's hard to like describe in words, but it's just that it's that intangible way of like that the way that some guys like play the game, you know, and it's like you know, if he's like maybe he's one of those guys that you know, if he's not on your team, you hate him. If he's on it's like you talk about Avalanche Red Wings, like the way I always felt about Peter Forsberg. It's like I hated Peter Forsberg when he when he played for the Avalanche. And it's like but it's like if but you would you would take Peter Forsberg on your team if you could, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like um but it was that same way. He was like just a weenie, you know, like uh <laughs> it's like, I don't know other way to say it though, but you get what I'm saying is like it's like I said, the one thing I remember about when Michigan when uh, Wisconsin beat Michigan and I remember, and I think we might have talked about this, but it yeah. sticks in my mind when we talk about Davison, is it was late in the game, there's like four minutes left, Simpson drove the lane and got fouled, and re, and he gave the most reactive reaction that I've ever seen Simpson give on the floor in his three years at Michigan. Like, you know, like a tangible reaction, like finally, like you finally called a foul on this guy. Like, you know, and it's like, so you could just tell, like, it just, and if it irks a guy like Simpson, who's the, like the most unflappable dude on the court, like every time he plays, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when you're watching it and you know, and so it's like, like I said, it's like, it's, it wasn't shocking to me to see this, you know, it's like, it, it's the same idea, you know, it's like the same thing with Draymond Green. It's like, you had the people always defending Draymond Green, but every time there's somebody out there, you know, doing something that's like cross that looks like it could, it's like blurring the line or could be crossing the line. He's always there, you know, when it came to the Warriors. And I think it's the same idea with Davison and Wisconsin is like, you know, it's green is, is was it's always when there's always something going on with the Warriors or on the floor, who's right in the middle of it. Him. <laughs> and it's, I yeah. think it's the exact same thing, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's a, it's a shame because I think he is a good player too. You know, it's like he's not like some. I was gonna say Wisconsin. He's not like a, go- he's don't, not like a goon. Yeah, yeah, he's not like some hockey goon that they just send out there to like you know <laughs> beat up the other team's best player or something like that. Like he's got ability. It's just so it's a it's a shame in that regard. But uh, oh man, yeah, I see that play and I'm like, man, if I was Jordan Murphy, it'd be hard not to want to knock the guy's lights out. Well, you know, you know yeah, it's just honestly. Like I'm not a big officials blew the car. Like I'm not one of those. You know it. I if I ever get driv- driven out of town, it's going to be because I don't like when everyone flips out about officiating. But it's one of those things. I do think the Big Ten. This is like the one time I can think of where the Big Ten might like. I would not be opposed to them looking at this and saying, "Hey, it might be time to send a message." Because it was, well, it was, yeah. it was very Indomitian Sue like, honestly, where it was like I think another great example, another great example, yeah, it, of a guy, yeah. you know. And it's, it's like, like it's, I said, it's like I said before we got on is the other thing I said before we got on when you proactive about, or reactive, yes, yeah, proactive or reactive. What so if 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 Murphy if he had st- if he had snapped his leg last night or broken his ankle or even sprained his ankle last night, you know they'd look at it and you know they're because it's clear as day when you watch it that it was totally intentional is that they would have done something about it so it's like well what's the difference does it take a guy to snap his leg for them to do something about it or do you go in and say hey we don't do things this way here mm-hmm. you know and you don't so but it, you know but it, I, again i'm like i don't anticipate they're going to do jack crap about it because it's going to take it so it's going to take somebody to get hurt for them to to you know, try to put a stop to crap like that. You know, well, so. you know, it's it's a 
it's the unfortunate part of college sports, but the prime time Saturday afternoon tip off, you know, are they going to take Davison out of it? You know, when, when Michigan's already projected to win, I'm not sure if I'm picking them to win. Honestly, the way Wisconsin's defense has played, uh, I don't see a lot of holes in how they defend. And I think their offense is, is starting to come along. I mean, Reavers is, uh, you're starting to see why everyone was so excited about him as a recruit. Uh, what's really funny, I didn't realize this. Um, Brad Davison was one of like six players in his class to get an offer from Michigan. Yeah. Like they did not right. offer a lot of people, but he was very much like, <laughs> he, yeah. that's what I'm saying though. But I mean that I was like, he is a good player though. That's what I think that's what in a way is like kind of what makes it disappointing. You know, this is Grayson Allen. I know that was like, I think that's the one that was compared to the most. Like I think a lot of like, in the mentions in the original video were like 60%, uh, Grayson Allen, you know, but it's like similar deal. It's like Grayson Allen was a really good basketball player. Could shoot the lights out, but he's, he was a cheapskate. Mm-hmm. He was a, the same deal where it was like so, something happened in the Duke game. Oh, what do you know? It was Grayson Allen <laughs> pissing somebody off again by trying to trip him or doing whatever he does, you know? And it's like, uh, you know, so that's why I think it, it kind of does. It stinks because it's the, because he is a pretty good ball player. You know, yeah. and I anticipate he'll give Michigan some problems on Saturday. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with being proactive instead of reactive to this stuff. Cause like I said, if, if Murphy had gotten injured last night, it, they'd be talking about it. Right. So what's the difference? You know, it's like, and it wasn't like, you know, cause like the whole, the, the I don't know if you saw the Nebraska Maryland thing where like, there was like some tangle when Fernando was going up for a dunk or whatever. And Fernando stepped over the Nebraska guy, um, very Allen Iverson style, like right. that was whatever. It was kind of just like a unfortunate, like it was just, you know, two bodies colliding in a weird angle and uh, could be perceived either way. This was not like some iffy, like, oh, Davison slipped or whatever. Like this was pretty this was some of the, you know, <laughs> night and day. Again, it puts, and I get it, like it puts the fans of that team in a, in a weird spot. Although I guess, Maybe it it shouldn't though because it's it's not that hard to just be honest with yourself, like and say like okay yeah he definitely tried to do that you know and said you did have people like that's a lot it was like he slipped you know you could see his foot slide and it's like no his foot was sliding because he was trying to injure this guy and trying to like you know look where his eyes were over yeah exactly you know and so um ah. Well, as far as the matchup, I think it's it's still probably Michigan's worst matchup in the Big Ten. I mean, it's a team that that you know runs teams off the three point line. I mean, that might be a blessing in disguise for Michigan the way they're shooting from three, but runs teams off the three point line. You know, doesn't make any sort of mistakes. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of fast break points on them because they don't worry about offensive rebounds. They just get back. You know, a lot of where Michigan's runs have come. And it is has been different at home than on the road, but right. a lot of where Michigan's like you know their ten nothing run that changes the game or whatever, uh, the ways they are able to get those, you know, forcing turnovers, winning the rebounding battle, um, you know, kind of frustrating the team, the other team's offense, you, you know, scoring in the fast break, uh, hitting threes, you know, it just when you watch Wisconsin play, I watched that Wisconsin Minnesota game. And it was just, it was almost like, 
I was like, it was like there was like this thing boiling inside of me because like neither team was able to do what they wanted to do. It was just this very dysfunctional game, and I would kind of expect the same thing. I mean, unless Michigan comes out and has its has a North Carolina esque shooting performance, I think it's going to be such a such a you know mud mud bath type of game. I mean, it's just it's going to be, and I I, I do think. Michigan's going to have to play its best defensive game because I don't think they're going to have the offense to win with a subpar defense. Yeah, it is. It's fair. I don't know. It's always I, it is. It's always, it, you know, it's it's that's the one thing about these. We we've been dogging on Wisconsin, or well, we've just been dogging on one player, but um, it was just the Wisconsin so good at Wisconsining everything. They have like not they just, allowed like more they, than sixty-one points in the last seven right. games. It's always a slog. And they're they're so good at doing that, you know. It's like, and that's they're they're forever, you know. You go back to uh, Dick Bennett before Bo Ryan was even there. Like it's they have always like dictated the pace of a game like better than almost any program in basketball. Like you know, and so it's like that's and that's the thing is like we're already sitting here talking about like that we know that that's the type of game it's going to be, you know, where it's like, it's, it's like this every prob- time last year right. was a Michigan little different. Probably, yeah. Right. They Michigan would probably like to get out and run maybe a little bit and like, you know, and, but it's, it's just hard to see that happening. You know, it's, and that's, what's always kind of interesting about Wisconsin. I think that's one of the reasons they've always been so successful is that you have to win the game on their terms almost. Well, if, they, in fairness, Michigan does play low possession mistake free right. basketball True. too, True. but I think but Wisconsin is of, so, like they they love that, right? Like their fans. I mean, I remember being at the Cole Center. It was like first drawn charge. It was like it was like Michigan football with its sacks. Like the fans just like they see it coming, they know it's coming, and they cheer for it as loud as they cheer for a touchdown. And it's just it's it's so much in their blood. I mean, I still you know they showed yesterday. Every time they go play at Minnesota, all the first time players at at the at the barn, you know, because they have the elevated court, have to do a drill where they dive after the ball whilst falling off the court. And it's like, that play will never happen, but it's just like to instill that that grit. And, and it, it bleeds into mistake-free basketball, which is really, I think Michigan, you look at their blowout wins, it's just they they capitalized on mistakes. It was very, right. it's right. like it's like playing that uh, baseball team that doesn't make any defensive errors and like never has like boneheaded, like he rounded the base too far or whatever. Like no one's getting picked off. Like it's just mistake-free. So what happens when Michigan plays another mistake-free team that also is putting quite a defensive number together? So should be fun, though. I mean, you know, Michigan's currently leads the Big Ten, has a half-game lead. If they win, they will continue to have that half-game lead. And so uh, have a tiebreak over Purdue, not that it really, really matters that much. But it should be a fun game, another, another sold-out crowd. I think Michigan's finally got that home-court advantage comparable to Assembly Hall, Breslin Center, Cole Center, Mackey Arena, Xfinity Center. I think they're in that top six now, which you could kind of say in 2013-14, but even last year, it just it, it was it was a good home home court, but now it's now it's at a different level. So I'm looking forward to the atmosphere for sure. Yeah, it's Okay, with that said, we can wrap this up. We did go long. Hopefully you appreciated it. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to read Steve's stuff and my stuff. 
michiganinsider.com, 247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you